How you guys doing? You doing okay? Come on, don't be like, don't be like that. If you stare at me, I'll stare at you for the next 30 minutes. How you doing, 11 a.m.? There's so much better. God is so awesome. Super excited to share what God has put on my heart for today. Anybody just feeling expectant, like God's going to speak to you? I'm just trying to see where we're at, you know what I mean? Like where you're at, what you came in here with. So excited to share with what God's put on my heart. I was on vacation last week in Hawaii. Praise God. And I was blessed with the trip, so that needs an even bigger woo. Come on, somebody say woo-woo, woo-woo-woo. It's like you get blessed with a trip to Hawaii, you got to put something on the end of those woos, man. But God's been so faithful to me and my, my family and and just God's been faithful with speaking to me. He has been giving me some downloads that are just changing the way that I approach life. We're in the middle of a great move of God. And one of the things that God's been challenging me about is kind of how I read the word and how I read the Bible. And one of the things that God has asked me to do is to just break one of the biggest patterns I've seen at Oasis in my nine years, nine years here. And one of those, that, that pattern that I feel like God's asked me to break is the pattern of people coming to Oasis looking for Jesus and they find him. But then three years later, through whatever reason, leave Oasis trying to find him again. And sometimes people leave because they are called, but oftentimes that feeling that you don't want to stay where you're at is that you're bored. Like when you first come to Jesus, you pass that offering container, you're like, I cannot believe I get to pass the offering. This is the Lord's money. You know, you turn around to each other, and it's so exciting to do the simple thing. But after three years, you're like, really? Oh, now I'm just still volunteering. I'm just still doing the same old thing. God, when are you going to use me? And you get bored, and you go not looking for Jesus. That's what you say. But really, you're looking for something exciting, something more fun. Anybody ever get bored following Jesus? Can I just be real? Like, you know, this, is, this was fun when I first started, but now it's getting kind of boring. And I want to let you know that as I read the Bible, Acts chapter 2, I like to watch action movies. You gotta, if you want some action, read Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is like a Marvel movie. There's superheroes. It's like X-Men. People are getting healed. People are getting set free. I mean, it's crazy. It's like the greatest action movie. And, and all Bible scholars agree that, that they were praying for 10 days, and then the Holy Spirit fell, and it was amazing. 3,000 people came to church in one day. But by the time you get to Ephesians 5, where it's talking about marriage, husbands love your wives like Christ loved. That movie's how to lose a guy in 10 days. Like, I ain't trying to die for nobody. Can we get back to the Marvel movie? There are very few passages of Scripture that could, you could actually make into an action movie, especially in the New Testament. See, a lot of it is the, the Marvel movie, and then you have How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, the marriage movie. Most of the Bible, if I were going to film a movie, I would name it, Bruh, Don't Give Up. That's it. In theaters this summer, Bruh, Don't Give Up. Like, that's just it. And I believe that God has called us to find him, not just in the exciting things of life, but in the places that feel boring, in the places that feel monotonous, in the places. What if God is saying the mature believer can find God in the places other people cannot find him? 
So I want to read a passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 9, and, and we're going to start with verse 1. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, this is I love Jesus. Jesus had the 12. Jesus was never really trying to, to have a crowd in front of him. He always had a handful of people in front of him, and I'm learning this as I follow Christ. It says, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. How exciting is that? Here comes the Marvel movie, casting out demons. And it says he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. How exciting is that? Demons are jumping out of people. People are getting healed. Sick people are getting healed everywhere. And then all of a sudden, the next verse says, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no Louis Vuitton bag, no bread. I mean, literal bread, because the next verse said not money, because the next verse said no money, no extra shirt. I'm out here sweating, serving the Lord, and I can't even change my shirt, Jesus. What are you talking about? I, I, I have to serve you with no money, no, no shirt, no food. I got to figure out what it means to have nothing but you. What kind of movie is that? It's almost like he's saying, this movie, welcome to Christianity. You got to figure out how to be satisfied and all you got is me. How many people want that movie in theater? I don't, don't clap because I know you don't want that movie. We got to edit that part out. And he says this, I'm believing for a miracle to happen right here in this church today, right here in this service, right here. But yet we find in the scripture, when Jesus prophesied that they would have a miracle, he didn't send them to a building. He sent them to a house. He says, whatever house you enter. This is why we're talking about being a family. Jesus is saying, you're going to heal the sick. You're going to raise the dead. You're going to cast demons. But don't go to church. Go to the house. It's not that God doesn't want miracles in the church, but he doesn't want ha heaven happening in the church and hell at your address. So he's teaching them where he wants the miracle to begin. We cannot show up here on a Sunday and believe for an outpouring, and there's not an outpouring at wherever you live. There's not an outpouring in your neighborhood. There's not an outpouring in your family. You come here believing for a miracle. You go home wanting a divorce. That is not the will of God. He says, I'm going to teach you about how to have a miracle in the home. Other translations and other gospels say that share a meal with them. Share a meal. God doesn't want the church to skip the meal to get to the miracle. We got to be a family. You cannot come here every Sunday and know no one but be known by God. It's impossible. God shows his love to you. I'm glad one person clapped. Because you're like, what do you mean in my house? Isn't it see you next Sunday? See you next Sunday? I say it all the time, we'll see you next Sunday. That's because I won't see you next Sunday. But God forbid that we leave the church and tell Jesus, see you next Sunday. You can do it. I'm telling you, there's nothing special about me. When God begins to come to your home, some miraculous things can happen. I think this is what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. 
Come on, I don't want you to get healed from your shoulder and go home and cuss out your husband. <laughs> oh, that's feeling kind of nice. We still get a divorce. That's not, no, no, that's not the point. God wants to bless both the house, God's house, and the home, your house. And he says to the disciples, stay there until you leave that town. And then he says something tough. Jesus said a lot of tough stuff. I like to read the encouraging stuff. But the next thing he said was, if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your Jordans as a testimony against them. Like, come on, that's some G stuff right now. I'm trying to bless you. I'm trying to heal you. You don't want me in your house. la I'm out. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus gave us permission not to spend time around toxic people saying that we love them. Oh, man. Oh, I'm preaching already. I'm preaching louder than you clapping. I'm telling you right now, I'm preaching better than you clapping. You had a toxic person in your life, not unhealthy, untox toxic. Come on, man, just wiggle your foot. Just wiggle your foot in front of you like I'm about to shake the dust off my foot. Somebody's tripping. So, so they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news. The good news. You can't heal somebody and you got bad news in your heart. Remember when the guy was lowered through the roof and Jesus said, your sins has been forgiven? You can't heal somebody uh, from something. And God forbid we're out here trying to pray for people to have healing. But the first thing out of our mouth is not the good news. The first thing our mouth is judgment and criticism. I'm preaching a message in a few weeks that, that wrecked me because God's been challenging me to not call out sin in people and I haven't shared the good news. Sometimes when you share the good news, you know the Bible doesn't tell you to call out sin. It says the blood of Jesus washes away all sin. You haven't told them out the blood. What are you calling out? They can't, the good news in their heart. I got some good news. Who is living the worst life you've ever seen and you can say, I got some good news? Jesus came. He died for you. He loves you. People need to hear good news. Man, I'm who I am because somebody finally stopped telling me all the things I needed to change and told me the good news that Jesus is for me, that he died for me. I wish the church would be filled with some good news. It says they were proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. God's going to put the good news in somebody's heart today. And that's one of the biggest miracles you could have is to stop carrying around bad news in your heart. I got some good news. Jesus is for me. He is for you. Does anybody believe it at the 11 a.m.? And it says now, verse 7, it says, Now Herod, the tetrarch, it's a strong word, he was a tetrarch. There was four of them. I don't want to get into that, but he was a tetrarch. Heard about all that was going on. Now, Herod was one of the worst leaders you could possibly imagine. This was an evil man. Sometimes I wish that if I had a, you know, a skill, I would make every person in the church be under Herod, and they would stop complaining so much about their pastor and their leader, because Herod was the worst, worst leader ever, and, and the church had to figure out how to, to move forward with a man like this as their king, as their leader. Herod actually killed every single male child under the age of two when he found out a move of God was coming, that Jesus was on the way. He tried to kill Jesus by killing every young man. 
See, when there's a move of God, the devil knows if we can kill the men, maybe we can prevent the move of God. Men are dying everywhere, not physically, spiritually, because the enemy knows if there's going to be a move of God, we need men. So I don't know what you're going through if you're a man, but don't let the devil kill what God has put on the inside of you. Herod was a terrible leader, and it says that he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others were saying that Elijah had appeared. Man, I want to live my life so strong that people, you get what I'm saying? They thought, like, what is going on? It wasn't just one person. So many people God was using mightily, they became confused. They couldn't tell the difference between Jesus and John. What if we lived our life that no one could tell the difference? Can you imagine you sitting up here and somebody saying, has Jesus come back? Because the way that you forgive it's impossible to offend you. You're healing people everywhere. I thought, Jesus, is Jesus, did I miss the rapture? What if God could use you like that where people became confused? Are you Jesus? Not do you believe in him, are you him? Because every time you go through a storm, your peace is unbelievable. Every time somebody wrongs you, you don't demand justice, you give grace. Every time you get bad news, you just keep preaching. Where are these people in the church? I want to be one so bad. I want to be one so bad. Herod said, I killed John. Who is this guy? I keep hearing such things about and he tried to see him. The Bible says when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he, he took them with him and he withdrew them by himself. There he goes again. He's not looking for the crowd. He says to a town called Bethsaida, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. People follow people who are following Jesus. He said he welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find some food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, come on, the disciples are thinking, we're in the wilderness, how are we gonna help anybody else? We're, there's nothing around, we're in a remote place. We're not in a season of blessing. Remember Jesus, you told me we have nothing. Remember that you told us to walk away, heal somebody, take nothing. We have nothing. We have no shirt. We have no food. We have nothing. So let me tell you, God, remember what you said. You said it was all about you. Therefore, I have nothing to give. And Jesus told them something that blows me away. You feed them. You give them something to eat. Sometimes your biggest blessing, you got to look around to see how you're going to give it. It's not always right in front of your face. It's not always... You remember you had that old grandma used to fish around in that junk drawer? You know you, come on, man. Anybody got the junk drawer in the kitchen? Look at all the black people raising their hand. Come on, look at all the black people. Oh, oh, somebody back there ain't black? Come on, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Come on, can I see the white people that got a junk drawer in the kitchen? Come on, you got a junk drawer? Come on, my white people, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. We're going family forward right now. Who got a junk drawer? Make some noise in the kitchen. You ain't cleaned that drawer out in like three years. <laughs> Come on, you got a measuring tape, a screwdriver, an unpaid bill. Come on, somebody shout. You got a junk drawer in your house. You got to look around. Your grandma used to fish through that junk drawer and pull out a dollar. Sometimes you got to fish around the what you have, you got to look to see how you can bless somebody. And then they replied, we only, and we love to tell God it's only this. We only, 
We only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go buying food for all the crowd. And remember, Jesus, you said we didn't have any money. About 5,000 men were there. All Bible scholars agree that there were probably 15,000 people, men, women, and children. Back then, they, um, they didn't count women, and in some churches, they still don't count women, but this is not one of those churches. We count women. You count. You matter. You're awesome. We count your kids as well. There's no Holy Spirit Junior in the back. God is back there too. We ain't babysitting. We're imparting the love of God and teaching those kids. You guys all count. And it says that he, he did that. It says, but he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. See, if you want a miracle, you got to watch what you're looking to. See, some people pray for a miracle and they're looking at their problem. People are praying for a miracle and they're looking at their marriage. People are praying for a miracle and they're looking at their doctor report. No, you got to pray for the miracle in your body while you're looking to heaven to the King of kings and the Lord of lords says, and looking to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. All of that was my intro. Let's pray. <laughs> no, I want to say a prayer. Father in heaven, I have gotten up here and have preached in places. And honestly, it was about me what I wanted to do and what made me feel good. This is not one of those times. Lord, I'm doing this because I love you, so I know, and I love the people. So I know, Lord, you're gonna use me mightily right now, that your sons and daughters are gonna be encouraged and they're gonna be blessed and they're gonna hear from heaven in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, remember back in the day, I just turned 42 years old, where like, you had to like watch TV, you couldn't record anything. They had like TGIF, thank God it's Friday, and Family Matters used to come on, and right after Family Matters, step by step, come on, that's a prophecy, Family Matters, and God is leading you step by step. Somebody shout amen. It was way funnier in my head than when I said it. But you remember, like you couldn't stop or pause anything, so you actually had to like race during the commercial and sprint to the bathroom and you had like one minute and a half to like use the bathroom and you're like running and then you're running and you get back and you come back just in time for Steve Urkel to say, did I do that? It's the most amazing thing in the world. And you sat there as a family and watched TV. Now I'm, I don't even have cable. I have Netflix. My son calls it Netflix, like the neck. So my son has Netflix, and I have Netflix, and I don't have to run to the bathroom. I can saunter to the bathroom because guess what? When I'm watching it, I can pause it, and I can come back, and I can watch Netflix how I used to read the Bible where I can skip stuff that I don't like, and I can just watch what I want to like and makes me feel excited. So this is amazing. So I watch Netflix and I'm surfing through Netflix and I wish I could tell you that I landed on a faith-based movie where somebody got healed from something, but what I landed on was a documentary on a party called the Fire Festival. <laughs> Don't watch it, it's not of the Lord. I watched it to glean from it so I could preach to you today. So unless you're not watching it with that kind of holiness, I advise you not to do so. Well, basically the story is about a man 
who planned a party with no plan. Come on, how many about somebody in here is planning a party with no plan? Christianity is not a party with no plan. So he plans this party and he gets these Instagram models to tweet about it and, 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 and he sells out this party with no plan because everybody was super pumped about an escape from reality. He said that you could go to this island that used to belong to Pablo Escobar and you could stay in these beach villas that later when the people showed up were FEMA tents, disaster relief tents. People were out here struggling. Not one single thing did he tell them was going to happen. He made a lot of promises, but nothing happened. He took thousands of dollars from thousands of people. And then there was this tweet that went out when one person showed up to the party. He said there would be tens of, of like several gourmet chefs making food for everybody in attendance. And this one guy tweeted a picture of the meal that they were served. Put it on the screen. This is the meal that was served at the fire festival. Is anything about that? Look gourmet. He promised a miraculous weekend. And, and yet when people showed up, this is what they served. And I was thinking about that, realizing that sometimes I'm believing for a miracle and this is what my time with God looks like. So I'm expecting the gourmet blessing, the, 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 the amazing, amazing fire festival, but then I don't be with God enough to figure out. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can take it off the screen. But you know what I'm saying to you. And if I'm not careful, I become one of these preachers that tells you God is going to bless you, which is true. That tells you that God is faithful, which is true. That I get it. There is a plan and a blessing and a promise for your life. But if I don't tell you what it's going to take, then I am preaching every single Sunday a message called the fire festival. Because the reality is, this is what God sent me to tell you, there is a miracle in the mundane. There's a miracle in the thing that you want to quit right now because it's boring. How in the world could God ever use me when this thing, I have a job that's not in my gifting. I'm serving on a team that's not in my gifting. No one has seen my gifting. I'm starting to think that I'm not even gifted anymore. This is boring. I've had some of the craziest Sunday services and get bored on Monday. What do you mean? It's just time to wake up and take the kids to school? This is terrible. This isn't a move of God. They don't even want to get dressed. How am I supposed to be excited about this? And they don't even want to get dressed. There's a miracle in the mundane. It's not just God move. Sometimes God's moving and it doesn't feel like he's moving. Somebody asked me the other day, Hey, I'm struggling in my faith. I said, what makes you think you're struggling in your faith? I said, she, they said, every day just feels awesome. I mean, terrible. I said, faith is not a feeling. Just because you don't feel like it doesn't mean you've lost faith. Faith sometimes is doing things you don't feel like doing. So are you, have you quit? She said, no. Then you still have faith. We want to feel like we have faith because, oh, this feels amazing. I can tell you, oftentimes, I feel absolutely terrible. 
I don't feel like doing what I'm doing, but because of my faith, you wouldn't even know it. People tell me all the time, sometimes I'm battling and it's the worst season ever. And you know what they say? You just always have so much joy. I just preach, you're just always the same. No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm so discouraged. Call somebody trying to encourage me. They say, God's still on the throne. I'm like, no, he's not. He got off. I've been broke for five years. He got off. He's not on the throne. There's no way he's on the throne. I got this junk drawer with unpaid bills. He's not. He's on the throne. No, he's not. Do you ever feel like that? But your faith moves you forward, oftentimes in spite of your feelings. We love reading this passage of Scripture and enjoying the moment where the disciples broke the bread and there was blessing. But yet there was so many mundane things in this verse. I want to take one final look at this. I want to invite the team to come up. Luke chapter 9, we're going to skip to verse 12. When I said the team, I meant the worship team. Like if you're serving kids, I value you, but please don't come up here. I said the team. She's like, you got to be specific. Somebody from the welcome team would be like, I'm here. It says, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go and find surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. And Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves and two fish. And remember, Jesus, you told us not to take any food with us on our journey. You told us not to take any money on our journey. So now we have no food to give them. We have no money to buy the food. And yet you're still asking us to do something to meet people's needs and you haven't met ours. I understand what the disciples must have felt like in the moment because so many times God asked me to do something and he hasn't even done what I've been asking him to do. And so many times I just got to keep doing it and be faithful. And then they respond, all we have is five loaves and two fish. And the other gospels tell us where they got this five loaves and two fish. The Bible tells us that there was a little boy whose mother packed him a lunch. Now I wonder if this mother was in the house packing the 352nd lunch of the year. I wonder if she told her son, son, are you, are you going to hear Jesus today? He said, yeah, mama, I am. She said, well, I love our Savior, but he's long-winded. You're going to need a lunch. And yet she packs the lunch. The Bible doesn't tell us that the mother of this boy is there. Maybe she was. Maybe she wasn't. But in this context, I wonder if she didn't send the little boy out and pray to God, where is my miracle? They don't count women. I can't get a job. My husband works long hours and I'm left at home with the kids. This is so mundane. God, when are you going to move? Not realizing 
that the mundane thing she had done every day was a miracle. She did the same thing she'd always done, but this time it was different. God has sent me to tell you somebody in this house right here at the 11 a.m. service is going to do the same thing they've always done, but this time there is a miracle in the mundane. God is going to put a blessing on that person who came on time to church to worship, who came on time to the job they hate, and God is saying right now, this time it's going to be different. What if she wouldn't have packed a lunch because she was too busy praying for an outpouring? Sorry, son. Mama's praying. God isn't moving. She would have missed the miracle. On top of that, the Bible says this little boy shows up with this lunch. Other gospels tell us that the people were starving and about to faint. Look at what Jesus said. I don't know if you're in here and you feel like you're about to faint, that God's not moving. I, I don't know how much longer I got, but other gospels tell them they're about, to, they're about to faint. And Jesus said in verse 14, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Do you know how long it takes to separate 15,000 people into groups of 50? Anybody in here ever been hangry? Do you know how long it would take and how frustrating it would be to do the mundane thing of putting 15,000 hangry people into groups of 50? See, I love to come up here and preach. I love to come up here and share God's word. I love it when you clap and you praise God. But let me tell you something. When the MC gets up here and starts talking about connect groups and starts talking about baptisms and starts talking about growth track, we're trying to separate you into the groups of 50. See, you're coming in here in a service and believing for a miracle, but you won't let the Lord separate you into a group of 50 so you can get your family, so you can get people when you get sick, you know they're praying. I'm glad you hear a message about healing, but what about a friend, a family that will lift you up out of your despair? Discouragement. Is there anybody in here that would just take this season to say, God, I'm believing for a miracle, but separate me. Help me find my group so I can move forward. I would be so mad if Jesus separated me into a group of 50 and I'm starving now. But that's what God's trying to do. Why would we have this stuff? Because we got a revelation that that there's got to be a private miracle before a public one. You notice that when Jesus sent the disciples to the homes, he was teaching them, yes, come to church believing for a miracle, but there's got to be a private miracle before a public one. And the woman who was packing the lunch, the mom, I don't know, but she was experiencing a private miracle and God used a private miracle to create a public one. There is a miracle in the mundane thing you feel like giving up. The Bible says at the end, there was 12 baskets left over. The disciples, there was 12 of them. They got the food 
Jesus told them to leave without because they served the Lord when they didn't have it. And they left with 12 baskets left over and the Bible says it was broken pieces. And I wanna let you know, sometimes after a miracle, there's still broken pieces in your life, but don't you dare give up. God is faithful. I feel like he wants me to tell you there is a miracle in the mundane. Why don't you stand to your feet? I wanna speak something over your life right now. And then we're gonna go into a song of worship. But Hebrews 6 verse 12 says this, we do not want you to become lazy. Mundane things make us lazy. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those through faith and patience, inherit what God has promised. There are promises over your life, but you inherit those promises through faith and patience. The best way I could describe faith and patience is this, faith is believing that the promise will come. Patience is living like you already have it. Do you understand what I'm saying? God told me this week, Julian, a great leader doesn't get happy when God does something because a great leader has been happy since God said he would do it. I don't get happy when God does something anymore. I get happy because God said he would do it. There's somebody in here who you're going to get happy when you get the promotion, but God is saying, didn't I say I would do it? Didn't I say somebody here needs to get happy right now? God sent me to tell you joy is never worth the wait. It's never worth the wait. God wants to give you joy right now, right here in this place. 